Anyway, uh, welcome once again to Legion of Reason Diversion. I am your host, the Supreme Reverend Dr. Randy Tyson, and I'm along with my co-hosts, uh, Christine and Swyla. Oh, yeah, and of course I have the the YouTube feed going, so I'm getting feedback. Great. Yeah, what else could go wrong? Um, well, hopefully nothing. Anyway, today we have with us... Uh, freelance journalist Kathy Young and she joins us to discuss some of the aspects of social justice and how they stack up against reality and her own uh, experiences in dealing with them. She is a Russian-born American journalist who has written articles for uh, quite a few major uh, publications including the New York Times, Washington Post, the Philadelphia Inquirer, Newsday, the New Republic, Wall Street Journal, the American Spectator, National Reviews, and Salon, uh, the Weekly Standard. Oh, there's a holy mackerel! This is quite a—I I don't want to use the word pedigree—a uh, litany of really uh, high-quality publications. I mean, you've done remarkable work. Oh, well, work. thank you. And you've also written uh, at least one book. Uh, is more uh, than one? Two. Two. Now. I, so, okay, yeah, I know. I know. Uh, yeah, I know of Ceasefire: Why Women and Men Must Join Forces to Achieve True Equality. I have that book. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I also had uh, 10 years before that, I wrote a book about growing up in Russia. So that was my first wow. orient. Yeah. Well, how, how old were you when you moved from Russia? Uh, I was uh, 16 when my family left. And I actually turned 17 uh, in Vienna while they, waiting for the entry visa to the United States. So that was uh, kind of fun. It was a really great way to spend my 17th birthday. So, um, you know, it was uh, so, yeah, I mean, I've been and that was in uh, 1980. So I've been here for a while. Oh, I guess uh, the 80s. That that was a very tumultuous time, especially in uh, the Soviet Union. Um, was, yeah. yeah, and of course, culminating in the you know the self destruction of the the whole edifice. Um, right, and I mean, amazing. I will say that when I was leaving in 1980, I mean, if somebody had told me at the time that you know, like in in 11 years, you know, the Soviet Union will no longer exist and communism will no longer like be the dominant, uh, you know, the ruling party, um, I would not have believed that. It happened <laughs> yeah. so quickly too. It was just a Astounding. Uh, in 1981, I started university and I had a political science professor who we were talking about comparisons between Canada and the Soviet Union, that, that Canada had far less, you know, about the, the Quebec versus English Canada disputes that have, have oh, gone. Yeah, it, he, we were discussing it in that context and he was saying that Soviet Union has far more issues or had, I suppose I should say now, uh, oh, along yeah, those cultural lines and, and reasons to disintegrate than Canada did. And and right. I still remember that. It was very prescient. Right. Well, of course, now the question is, uh, for a lot of people, you know, there are a lot of people who believe that in another, you know, 10 years or so, Russia may disintegrate because there's a lot mm. of ethnic tensions within Russia itself. And it has this structure where there are these kind of semi-autonomous units and of course Chechnya is the big one and you know we don't know oh, yes. where that's headed because I mean that's a very very weird situation right now because it's basically a sort of Islamic republic that lives by its own laws 
that is officially part of the Russian Federation, but you know they basically have Sharia law. You know, and yeah. a lot of people are questioning this because they're saying, you know, we have this um, th- this uh, territory which is supposed to be governed by the Russian Constitution, but you have no freedom of religion. I mean, of course, there are issues with that within all of Russia, but. You know, Chechnya is really kind of a law unto itself. And, you know, and, and who knows what's going to happen there because they have this sort of strongman uh, leader, Ramzan Kadyrov, who basically, you know, used to be a pro separatist rebel who made a deal with Putin where, you know, he delivers a complete loyalty in exchange for essentially being allowed to run Chechnya the way he wants. So, you know, it's kind of like they really pretty much have quasi independence, except that they're sort of officially like bending the knee to the Kremlin. But who knows where that's going to go? Well, there's certainly a lot of disquieting stories that come out of that region because uh, uh, the LGBT community there must, you know, very dangerous to be a member of that community. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, people, people talk about, you know, dissidents getting murdered in Russia. Mm. I mean, in Chechnya, that's kind of like basically, you know, normal procedure for dissidents to be murdered. Well, that's the thing. And there are all sorts of like quasi-medieval stories about, you know, Kodera throwing people to the wild animals that he keeps in his personal zoo. It's, you know, that that sort of stuff. So it's, it's bizarre. I hear that nothing happens in a major way in Moscow without Putin's say-so. Um, for instance, oh, uh, you know, the, the killings probably. of, of, of uh, journalists in Moscow that are critical of the regime. Yeah, no, no I'm pretty sure that, I mean, at least I, I can't speak to every single one of them, but I mean, certainly when you look at what happened to Boris Nemtsov, the, uh, the, the dissident leader who was a former governor and who was sort of, you know, very big on the opposition, uh, you know, this is a guy who is con- who was constantly being tailed by the police, especially at that time, because they were on the eve of a big opposition rally. And then he gets shot, like, literally within a short walk of the Kremlin, where, you know, everything is patrolled by the FSB, which is you know, the successor KGB. So, I mean, there is really just no way that that could have happened without the knowledge of, uh, you know, people at the top. So, yeah, yeah I mean. I, I, I think that sometimes uh, Putin does get a little too much credit from, you know, both his friends and his enemies for being, like, omnipotent and, you know, completely in control of everything. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in Russia behind the scenes uh, where, you know, there are these different sort of clans, as they're referred to, mm-hmm. like people uh, you know, various uh, business sectors and sectors of the Organized government. I mean, there are questions as to, you know, how much power Putin actually has himself. Uh, like, is he really this omnipotent dictator or is he someone who, like, if the people behind him decide that they want to remove him, you know, then that's it. Uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I am looking at this at a distance. I haven't yeah. actually been back to Russia since uh, 1993. Four, so it's really been quite a while, and um, uh, you know it's, it's you know I, I, I will say I, I've wanted to go back because uh, there's always a lot of interesting stuff going on, and you know I write about Russia, so I kind of feel like you know I really should be you know mm. kind of on the scene more because I, I do uh, a fair amount of writing, and I mean there, these days you can 
really get a lot of knowledge without directly being there. You know, you can listen to Russian radio and, you know, watch Russian TV on the, on the internet and, you know, you can talk to people, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, there's really no substitute quite for actually being there. It's like every single time that I start kind of making plans to go, another journalist gets killed. And I'm like, you hmm. know what? Uh, maybe not right now. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. blame you. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's at case, this but... point, I think it's actually quite possible that they just wouldn't give me a visa because I'm—I mean, there are people because I've written a lot of stuff that is critical of uh, uh, of uh, Putin, obviously. And I mean, I know that some people, like David Satter, who is a journalist, an American journalist, who's uh, done a lot of writing on Russia. Uh, like at one point, he wanted to go to the Sochi Olympics, and they just didn't give him a visa. They just basically said. Yeah, and, and uh, under the law, and I think it's actually not in that regard, the law in Russia is not that different from, you know, other countries, including the U.S., where if, if you're a foreigner, they can just deny you a visa without giving a real explanation. They can just say, mm -hmm. you know, in the interests of national security, we've decided that, you know, we don't want to give you a visa. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm actually like... I, I'm almost tempted to apply just out of curiosity, but I don't know. One of these days, one of these days, we'll see what happens. I mean, right now we have enough stuff going on, you know, back oh, here. Gosh, we yeah. keep it busy. You know, yeah. uh, we you won't know, even get into Trump, but it, today. Trump and the, uh, the social justice people, oh. you know, it's like the twin pillars of insanity. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting way of putting it. Uh, <laughs> It is. It, it, I, I honestly think that uh, democracy is its own worst enemy in a sense that people who didn't have to work to, for it don't just take it for granted, but they actually work against it. You know, if like oh, freedom of speech, for instance, and is, is I am a very strong proponent of free speech, and I had an argument about that today, but it was a misunderstanding that the NFL players taking a knee is not free speech. The NFL is a private enterprise. It does not. It is not required to uh, uh, act. You know, follow constitutional law. But oh no, certainly yeah. not. But I mean, I do think that when you have the president weighing in, like calling for the NFL to fire those people, I mean, it's not. Mm. It doesn't necessarily raise constitutional issues because obviously, you know what. Donald Trump says on Twitter, it doesn't, thank God, have the power of law. No kidding. <laughs> you know, it doesn't oh my gosh. actually get affected. Uh, but, I mean, I think that in addition to legal issues, there's also the sort of cultural climate. And there's the um, kind of climate of, you know, do we have a climate of respect for free speech? And I right. think arguably when the president makes a statement that people should be fired for, for, you know, doing or saying something that, you know, he disagrees with ideologically. Um, I think that sends a really bad message in terms of, you know, the cultural support for free speech. Uh, there was actually, there was an interesting um, speech that was given uh, several years ago by Ajit Pai, who is the uh, currently the head of the Federal Communications Commission, and he, he has been sort of the most hated man on the internet, I guess, because of the net neutrality oh, issue, yeah, which yeah. I don't even really know that much about that. Neither so do I'm I. That, but he gave a really interesting speech a few years ago where he basically said, you know, yeah, the First Amendment is great, 
but you really need to have a climate of sort of cultural support for free speech because without that, you know, even with the First Amendment, um, we're going to have uh, you know people's speech effectively being censored. And I mean, you know, you can get into a lot of arguments about you know is Twitter, for instance, or Facebook required to provide a platform to all opinions. Um, and, you know, or can they just say, well, we're going to ban you because we don't like what you think about feminism, for instance. Um, and you know, my, um, my take on that is that I think the social media companies, I mean, they're private corporations and I do think that there's a danger in saying, oh, well, because you're sort of basically like the marketplace of ideas, we're going to force you to host speech. You don't want to host, you know, um, like to, to do that by power of law, I, I think would be disturbing uh, and, and definitely would actually be unconstitutional. On the other hand, I mean, I think that there is such an issue, such a um, sort of question here, I guess, as, uh, uh, you know, being honest with the consumer, basically. I mean, if you position yourself as Twitter does, uh, as a free marketplace of ideas, and if you say, you know, we're going to provide you a platform, like, as long as you're not harassing people and so on, we're going to provide you a platform no matter what your beliefs are, uh, you kind of have to follow through on that. You can't sort of present this uh, image of yourself uh, and capitalize on it and then essentially kind of violate your contract with the consumers uh, by, you know, banning people for being guilty of wrong things. So I think, you know, those are those are really interesting issues. I'm not sure that there are legal issues because, you know, legally, I'm again, I'm pretty sure that Twitter can do whatever it likes. I mean, you know, if, if Twitter said tomorrow, hey, you know, we're going to from now on, you know, ban everyone whose name is Kathy, you know, they could they could do that. You know, yeah. they're a private company. I mean, as long as obviously they're not allowed to discriminate by, you know, race, uh, gender, uh, ethnicity and so on, like the other, you know, the protected categories. But, you know, they, they can certainly discriminate if they want uh, based on opinion. Um, but, you know, the question is, are they being honest with the public? And, and is it bad PR? I mean, does it does it have a marketing hit when you do that? You know, that's, that's a right. business decision. Oh, yeah. yeah there's, there's arguments for both to go both ways. I, I personally, I think that it, it suits the a business to be as inclusive as possible, which means the broadest possible. <laughs> Um, ideas. That's, my, that's just my position because I think there are arguments to be made that there are certain opinions which should not be allowed. But I, I think there's that's fraught with danger. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it, it is it is definitely fraught with danger. I mean, I think that uh, as far as hate speech goes, and I mean, I know that there's a lot of debate about. Uh, um, you know, do, do we have a good model in the U.S. where we basically say, you know, you can legally you can say anything you like, like even if you actually call for violence against certain groups, legally you cannot be prosecuted for that as long as it's not in a context where you're calling for specific 
violent acts that could actually happen right now. Like, I mean, if you're standing in front of a crowd of people with guns and, you know, you say, let's go kill all the Jews, you know, that's you can be prosecuted for that. On the other hand, if you write an article saying, you know, I basically believe that, you know, it would really be a good thing to kill all the Jews. You actually cannot be prosecuted for that. I think that's different from a lot of other countries. Um, Now, I think you can certainly have, you know, debates as to which one of these approaches is philosophically. I mean, I'm in favor of really being as uh, as unfettered, you know, as mm-hmm. possible legally. On the other hand, I do very strongly believe that in a free society, like in the marketplace of ideas, um, there are certain kinds of speech that should be sort of beyond the pale. Like if you want to post something on your own private blog, um, uh, that's fine. You know, on the other hand, uh, yeah, I mean, I, should Twitter be able to say, uh, you know, we're going to ban people who call for hate and violence toward, um, you know, particular groups? Yeah, I mean, I think that should be that should be OK. I mean, I think that it's important if they do that to be uh, fair in enforcing this. Like you can't say, um, you know, we're going to ban people who call for violence against uh you know, specific groups based on demographics and then allow people to post something about, you know, killing all white people or, you know, killing all men. Uh, That's, you know, that's a double standard. Um, An unfortunately common one now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, similarly, I mean, I would also say that you're not, if you could argue, for instance, is a university obligated to you know provide a platform to speakers with all opinions like you know as again as long as they're not directly calling for violence against specific people and i would argue i would sort of agree that there are certain opinions uh that should be kind of socially stigmatized to the point where they don't need to be included in polite society my view though is that for that to work and for that to work in a way that respects freedom of debate, you really, really have to like draw that line very, very carefully. And you have to really make sure that the opinions that we've agreed to sort of ex- to exclude from, you know, a respectable conversation, so to speak, y- you have to make sure that th- th- there are clear criteria and that this is very narrowly drawn. For instance, again, you know, I think you you should be able to say, yeah, like if you uh, explicitly express, you know, hatred toward specific groups and describe them as, you know, subhuman or, you know, not deserving of rights. I think it's perfectly fine for a university to say, you know, if you do that, we're going to we're not going to host you as a speaker. Um uh, on the other hand, if you start expanding that, like if, if you look at some of the people who are being, you know, deplatformed today, uh, as for instance, you know, being hateful to transgender people, I mean, I don't think any of them have said, uh, oh, you know, transgender people are, you know, freaks of nature who mm. want to be locked up in in concentration camps or whatever. I mean, it's really more questions of. 
um, you know, should we automatically respect a, a person's uh, demand to be treated as a woman simply because they say so, even if, for instance, you know, they happen to be to not only be anatomically male, but they really kind of look male and, you know, they don't even really make an attempt to pass as female, but they demand to be, uh, you know, for instance, allowed into female only spaces uh, simply by saying, you know, yeah, I'm a woman. Uh, I think that's a legitimate debate. And I think if you try to shut down that conversation, um, it's, uh, you know, ironically, it's eventually, I think, going to empower the really hateful people. Because, when, I mean, once you've said that there's no difference between, let's say, you know, criticizing some of the kind of politically correct dogma on race and being a white supremacist, you know, eventually it's going to empower the white supremacists, the actual white supremacists, because, you know, then they can say, well, you know, we're no different from this person who says that, uh, you know, cultural appropriation is not a, is not a problem. So, you know, it's, uh, it's ultimately really bad for everyone. Well, let's, let's bring it back to, to, where I wanted to start with was the whole idea of of Western society being a rape culture. And I've run into this so many times without any real substantiation for, for the claim. Um, right. To, to me, rape culture has to have certain characteristics. I mean, one, rape has to be socially accepted. I mean, that's what it means right. to be culturally, you know, be a culture. Uh, right. The That that uh, women are not uh, uh, believed and, uh, uh, you know, within, you know, due process, of course, uh, that, that women aren't arrested for, you know, being, having sex out of wedlock as they are in, in, right. yeah, yeah. in the Islamic world. Do we have anything really in common with, significantly, I mean, there's probably sub- cultures where that exist where that might be true but in general yeah well i I think that again (laughs) this is a case where um you know i i think you can certainly say that uh you know when the feminist movement kind of first began its critique of the way that rape was being treated which was the 1970s um there were a lot of practices in the United States, um, which, I mean, I still wouldn't say that they amounted to a rape culture, but certainly they were um, often extremely unfair to rape victims. Yeah, I mean, there was this idea that, oh, well, you know, if you invite a man into your room, uh, you know, and then you change your mind, well, you know, you're really kind of asking for it. And I think there, there were a lot of factors that went into this, one of which was that there was a kind of notion that I think both women and men kind of subscribed to, that, mm. uh, you know, women uh, were not supposed to like express an overly uh, kind of candid interest in sex, and you were supposed to kind of put up a token resistance and I, I think the idea behind like a lot of the stuff, I, I think the the one reason for it was that, um, you know, like a, for a woman to say no 
was really a kind of an actual part of the sort of the mating game. And I think women, I mean, there's a lot of evidence. There were surveys uh, as late as the 1980s, which showed that, you know, I can't remember the exact percentage now, but a pretty high percentage of women, I think more than half, and these are even college women who are probably more kind of socially advanced than, you know, the rest of society, um, actually said that they had at some point, you know, basically said no when they meant yes. Um, and I think that a lot of the, like, the, 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 the norms, the legal norms that said, well, you really have to sort of put up a significant physical resistance in order to prove that you were actually raped. I think one reason for that, you know, I, I think it's, it, obviously it's very easy to see that as a victim blaming and putting women in, mm-hmm. in a position where they have to you know, physically fight back against someone who may be, you know, very violent and much larger than they are. Um, I I think there was a kind of under uh, a sort of notion that, well, you know, it's the way that we distinguish serious resistance from someone just being coy. And, Mm. you know, I don't think that anyone was sort of pro-rape in the sense that they said, oh, well, you know, it's okay if women get raped. I think it's more that there was a belief that, you know, a lot of this sort of token resistance should not be confused with um, actual rape. I mean, if you look at some of the actual cases, yeah, I think there uh, that were um, being tried at the time. Uh, there certainly were a lot of bad cases, and I can I, I think there was a very legitimate kind of push from feminists to change that. Um, like, you know, there was one uh, case that um, got a lot of attention and actually resulted in, I think, the law being changed uh, in which um, the the woman was uh, basically, I think the guy gave her a ride home from a, not a ride home, but he was going to give her a ride home from a bar. And then he sort of took her, like stopped outside his apartment, took her keys and sort of so went upstairs. Oh, no, I'm sorry. She was giving him a ride. So he took her keys, went upstairs, and uh, you know, started the She She kind of had no choice except to follow him. They were in a bad neighborhood. So, I mean, I'm not going to go into all the details, but there was a clearly very threatening situation mm-hmm. where he started, like, making very aggressive advances. And at some point, and I think he actually admitted this, uh, she actually said something like, well, you know, if I do what you want and if I have sex with you, can you promise that you will, you know, like, let me go and not hurt me? And he said yes. Now, I think that when you ask a question like that, like, the a normal person's reaction would be to say, like, what do you mean? I'm not going to hurt you, period. Like, if you want to go, you know, you can go. And 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 in that situation, the, the, the guy was convicted. The conviction was appealed. This was, like, 79 and uh, the the state Supreme Court initially said, well, we're going to overturn that conviction because she didn't fight back physically. And I think those were the kinds of cases that made a lot of people justifiably very angry. And, and you know, that was eventually that was legally changed. And, you know, that was in the 1980s, uh, especially. Uh, there was a lot of legal reform that was initiated by feminists, which I think needed to happen, you know, clearly, uh, where they basically said, yeah, if you uh, if you're submitting 
two unwanted sex because you're physically in danger, that's not consent. And now, to be fair, there were some courts that basically said that, you know, even before that, I think you can look at a lot of different rulings and find a lot of different results. Like there was um, uh, in, uh, I know that there was a court ruling in the early 1960s, like pre-feminism, where they basically said, yeah, you know, like submission to a threat is not consent. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there was, uh, there there was a kind of patchwork of, uh, you know, different, the different legal norms and decisions. But overall, I think that you, you could certainly make a very strong case that there was a lot of injustice toward uh, toward rape victims, and um, and I think that the reform that was being uh, called for definitely needed to happen. Um, I think the problem is that today, uh, first of all, I, I, I think the the call for reform has kind of gone to a point where we've we've really gone beyond saying that you know, you should not be held responsible, you know, as as a victim, if you didn't resist because the situation was threatening, and you know, you didn't physically, you know, have the ability to walk away from this without putting yourself in danger. Now, it's kind of gone to the point where a lot of the time, uh, the, the, uh, the new sort of feminist outlook on this is that, you shouldn't even really be expected to say no. Like if you go along with sexual advances when you're not being physically threatened, uh, when you know you're not in a threatening situation, you have the ability to, you know, walk away uh, without putting yourself in danger, or at the very least, you have the ability to say no. And uh, even then, the, the argument today is that if you you know, if, if uh, the the person initiating sex, you know, usually male, does not explicitly verbally seek consent, and the woman doesn't explicitly consent, that you can then kind of go back and say, well, you know, actually, mm. I was right. When does this happen? And I think that's where you really start to um, um, kind of go down a very dangerous road. And, and you know, it's interesting that if you look at um, – the studies of sort of unwanted sex in which there is no use of violence. Um, So it's basically, you know, someone either sort of being intoxicated and doing something that they later regret, or somebody going along with physical advances when they don't actually want this, but they sort of, you know, don't want to hurt the other person's feelings by saying no, or they don't quite know how to say no. Uh, If you look at those studies, you will actually find that if you define those things as being a rape victim, you're also going to find a lot of women, quote unquote, raping men. And you have, you know, there are a lot of men's rights activists who, who will point to those and who will say, well, you know, actually rape is completely a two-way street and there are as many women, you know, raping men as vice versa. Now, I mean, I don't want to get on that bandwagon because, you know, I mean, I, I really do think that we need to stick to a more kind of reasonable definition of rape where, you know, you, you can certainly say that any sort of sexual coercion is bad, but mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean that 
you know, being pressured emotionally into doing something that you didn't want to do as rape. Uh, because, you know, I mean, I, we don't apply that to other situations of life. I mean, you know, if you're, uh, uh, you know, to take one example, if somebody sort of very aggressively asks you for money for a charity and, you know, you eventually you know, cave in and make a donation, even though, even though you didn't want to, we don't let you turn around and call that robbery. You know, we're not going to let you, you know, call the police and say, well, you know, this person who called me from a charity last week, he actually robbed me because, you know, he kept pestering me for a donation and I didn't quite know how to say no. So I finally, you know, donated a lot more money than I wanted to. So, you know, I, I, I think it's a it's really quite infantilizing to women, you know, ultimately uh, to, um, to say that any kind of um, unwanted sex, uh, even if you had every opportunity really to, uh, you know, not, go along with it uh and you did for whatever reason um to say that that's rape i mean i think that that really does undercut women's agency and uh and of course you know again it does kind of open the way to uh redefining rape so that you can really kind of make it a gender neutral crime uh which you know obviously uh, I'm not saying that the law shouldn't be gender neutral when somebody actually does get physically forced into sex or, you know, when somebody gets uh, taken advantage of when they're actually incapacitated. Yeah, I'm all for the law being gender neutral in that respect. But, you know, I I do think it's a bit ridiculous to say that there are as many women raping men as vice versa. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's what you end up with when you start to say that, well, you know, if someone's coming on to you and you never really say no, but you're not really quite, you know, quite uh, willing, but, you know, you you go along with it for whatever reason, uh, that's rape. Yeah, well, that's how you end up with, uh, with the idea that, uh, you know, women are raping men all over the mm-hmm. place. <laughs> Yeah, it's but that's not what they intend, of course. But it, no. it, they don't understand that there are unintended consequences of making those kinds of laws. Uh, it's a, it astounds right. me how many politicians don't get that, and then they oh, say, "Oh, that's not what we meant." Well, too bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I also do think that there is, um, you know, that there is a very real double standard, uh, which which uh, I, I do think needs to change. You know, not quite to the point of saying, you know, there are as many women raping men as vice versa. Of course not. But, I mean, when you look at sexual harassment, for instance, and this whole, you know, the Me Too moment that we're seeing right now, one of the things that I find really interesting um, is that, you know, there is um, uh, this focus on, you know, male misbehavior. Which, uh, you know, and obviously, you know, when you look at Harvey Weinstein, you mm. know, certainly when you look at, uh, but, but, you know, for, first of all, I, I really do find it interesting that we're, the, the, this whole discussion is being framed so much in terms of, you know, women being the victims, when, you know, one of the more prominent people in Hollywood to kind of, you know, take a fall due to this whole thing is Kevin Spacey, whose victims were male. 
you know, mm-hmm. and and I think that it's kind of interesting that again, it's being like the whole thing is being framed so much in terms of uh, uh, you know women uh, being the only one victimized. Um, uh, but you know, also somebody pointed out on Twitter tonight, um, uh, Mariah Carey was one of the people who were you know, very prominent at the Golden Globes tonight in the whole you know the the, the big Me Too moment. And, you know, she was actually about two months ago, there was a former male employee of hers who accused her of sexual harassment. And that kind of completely went nowhere. Like that was that just, you know, it was briefly in the news and then it kind of evaporated. Now, I mean, is this a true story? I don't know. But I mean, I do think that there is a... um, a real kind of reluctance to uh, even acknowledge that men can be victims of sexual harassment by there, women. There's no believe him movement. Oh no, no, definitely <laughs> not. Uh, definitely not. Uh, uh, yeah, that's a, and this is kind of where where I wanted to steer to is that uh, you wrote in December a piece about the Me Too um, movement, and there's also a, a quote from you in. Uh, uh, Oh, what? Let me take a look at this. It, I, I know, uh, is it the spiked, uh, the spiked? Yes, the spiked one. Um, That's the one. Uh, I was a part of that. Yes, and along with uh, Christina Hoff Summers and a, and a number of other people, uh, women specifically. Um, and you had some reservations about the Me Too. Right. Uh, well, movement. you know. Part of it is what I just said about the double standard. I mean, I think that there is. Uh, I'm uh, I'm not quite as uh, negative about it as like, like there there were a couple of people in that symposium who basically kind of took a very very negative view of the whole thing, like from the start. I mean, I think that when you look at um, specifically like the Weinstein moment, like the fall of Harvey Weinstein, I don't know who can really disagree that that is a good thing because you know here is this guy and i think you know from everything that i can see uh you know the the i don't know if all of the accusations against harvey weinstein are totally truthful and valid i mean i don't rule out that some people may be getting on the bandwagon uh but even if like one third of it or even like one fifth of it is true or one this is really really a horrible guy who was Mm -hmm. committing really horrible abuses and not only in terms of uh, like physically assaulting and abusing these women but of employing his sort of machine to keep them from getting roles if you know if they didn't go along you know there were apparently several women including um, Mira Sorvino uh, whose careers were kind of damaged because they didn't you know they they were not like quite as accommodating as he uh wanted them to be um so you know this was a guy who was engaging in a really massive massive abuse of power yes now what i will say and i think it's kind of interesting again in terms of uh the gender angle to this like with people saying, well, this whole like the whole Harvey Weinstein incident really proves that you know women are not treated as fully human, and you know men uh, like these men in power like don't consider women to be people. You know what? If you look at the well-documented history of how Harvey Weinstein treated people around him, 
I don't think he considered anyone to be really human, you know, other than himself, you know. I mean, I think it's a little bit like, you know, when people say that Donald Trump is a misogynist. Yeah, I think that's kind of beside the point because I think he's a complete <laughs> narcissist and, you know, who doesn't, I mean, who treats everyone like crap, you know. And uh, it's really kind of the same with, with Harvey Weinstein. I mean, obviously his sort of sexual depredations were directed at women. Now, if he had been bisexual, I assume that they would have been directed at both sexes. Yes. Um, as it is, you know, he, he he did a lot of really horrible stuff to women. He physically assaulted a number of men. You know, there were like male journalists that he physically attacked when they asked him a question he didn't like. There were male employees who he got angry. And it's interesting that I read an interview with one of them. I don't remember the guy's name, but he um, he had been a personal assistant who at one point was like maybe more than once was physically like hit and assaulted and choked by Harvey Weinstein in a fit of rage. Wow. And he said, you know, after he listened to that recording of the the model who was um, you know grabbed by Weinstein and whom he then attempted to persuade to like come into his room again. Uh, uh, and he said it's actually very similar to like, the way – because Harvey Weinstein kind of manipulated and bullied him into returning to his job like after these physical assaults. And he said it's actually very similar. Like you, he really did have this way of making you feel completely powerless and making you feel that you know you really kind of have to do whatever he's telling you to do. So, I mean, I think to cast this solely in terms of gender is really a serious mistake. And here's what's interesting. Now, Hardy Weinstein's like, – career as a sexual predator uh, was hushed up. I mean, there's no question about that. I mean, there were people who knew there were settlements, but, you know, no one really talked about it in public. On the other hand, there were stories in the media. Like in There, there were reported stories, like going back, um, you know, five, ten years, of Harvey Weinstein treating his usually male employees in a really, really horrible way. Like, there was... Um, <laughs> I came across just accidentally while, you know, looking for this stuff, I came across a story in, I think it was uh, Vanity Fair or something about like horrible bosses in Hollywood or something. And there was an anecdote about Harvey Weinstein where uh, like there was some uh, male employee who had displeased him in some way. And he basically ordered this guy to stand in front of him for like 10 minutes repeating the words i am a dildo harvey i am a dildo harvey and i mean it's like this is a guy who is really a sicko you know who loves humiliating people and it's interesting that you know this stuff was actually known and despite it being known you know people like meryl streep and you know people like michelle obama you know michelle obama in 2013 you know, gave a, a, a speech at some event that Harvey Weinstein was hosting, where she referred to him as a great friend and a wonderful human being. Oh. So, you know, is it is it a matter of you know our culture not respecting women specifically, or is it a matter of you know our culture allowing powerful people, some of whom are probably women as well, you know, to get away with some really really bad stuff because you know they're powerful and they're glamorous, and you know what, there are probably some powerful and glamorous people getting away with really horrible stuff right now that we don't know about, and you know some of them may very well be women. So, you know, and I mean, I, I do think that there's a double standard here that uh, I do find disturbing like you know uh, th there's um, uh, you know Amy Schumer has told stories of you know her sexual escapades 
Some of which, I mean, there was actually an interesting debate a few years ago where, uh, you know, some people said, wait, like, did Amy Schumer just confess to raping a guy? Because she told a story about, uh, you know, having a crush on this really cute guy. I think this was in college or maybe not. But uh, apparently she had this unrequited crush on him. And at some point, like, they were at a party together or something. And he was in, where I, I think she went back to his room or something. And he wasn't, like, she According to her, he was so drunk that he like practically passed out on the bed. And she uh, had some sort of sexual activity with him during which she sort of kept fading in and out. And, you know, I do think that if a guy had a male entertainer had told a story like that, you know, he'd be toast. Mm-hmm. So I think. It yeah. really is a double standard. Um, you know, Lena Dunham has some stories where, you know, the, 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 again, there was a kind of controversy a few years ago where some people felt that she had essentially confessed in her book to molesting her sister. I mean, I personally thought it was overblown. You know, like uh, the, the the worst of these incidents uh, that, that involved physical touching took place when, you know, Lena was like seven years old and her sister was one. So, I mean, I really don't. Uh, you know, I, I'm not on board with like trying to paint children as child molesters. I think you know that's a really horrible trend, and I don't want to be a part of that. But on the other hand, you know, some of the stuff that she did when she was a teenager, uh, you know, again, if a male entertainer had confessed to that, you know, he'd be very much kind of pilloried in this Me Too moment. And so I think, uh, yeah, I mean, the double standard bothers me. The um, kind of the trivialization of um uh sexual harassment really kind of bothers me um uh, like some of the uh things uh i mean again you know you obviously have harvey weinstein the mark halperin who's a tv journalist was accused of some really really bad stuff which he didn't really quite deny like you know, exposing himself and you know grabbing women and so on uh on the other hand you know we have these other stories where uh, you know, some people who have lost their jobs, we were not even sure what they did. And, you know, the like Ryan Lisa, who was um, a New Yorker guy who says, you know, and that hasn't really been rebutted in any way that uh, his firing stemmed essentially completely from a consensual relationship that later ended in a breakup. And that apparently, you know, presumably the woman came to see as not entirely consensual. So, you know, it's uh, um, that the, the, there's uh, there's some stuff um, happening where I think, you know, people uh, people are losing their jobs, people are losing their careers for very very trivial offenses, and that bothers me. So I mean, I, I think that the initial uh, kind of impulse was good. I, I think it's a good thing that Harvey Weinstein was brought down. I mean, I think. Some of the sort of reckoning really needed to happen, but I mean, I think it kind of went off the rails a while back. You know, you've you've written about this uh, in a number of articles, but, uh, but how much pushback have you received from you know, hey, sort of going, hey, let's slow down for a second here and examine this. Um, I've received some. I mean, I've. Uh, I mean, I've. I'm sort of used to being called occasionally called a rape apologist on Twitter. Um, and, you know, stuff like, oh, you know, obviously you just want the boys to like you, that sort of thing. Um, I've been writing about this for a while. So I'm, again, I'm sort of used to it. I have a pretty thick skin. And I think you really need to have, 
especially now with the social media, you know, if you're a journalist writing on controversial issues, you really, really need to have a thick skin. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, uh, I, I guess I do have one. Um, I've actually had some interesting conversations with people who disagreed with me, but were kind of willing to consider, you know, my point of view and who were able to, you know, make arguments that I thought were interesting, you know, for their view that, you know, no, this really hasn't gone too far and in fact it sort of needs to go further. Um, I mean, I think that um, there's, there, I've had a surprising amount of, uh, kind of productive dialogue. It's, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it really can happen, even even on Twitter. Um, yeah. But, you know, on That's the other hand, there's, a, there's always a, a certain amount of pushback. Uh, I mean, I remember that um, uh, over two years ago, I actually wrote a piece for the Washington Post on somewhat similar topics where I was talking about the sort of push to redefine all sort of ambiguous sexual encounters as um, sexual assault or sexual abuse. And at the time, um, there was stuff like, um, you know, there was was somebody who was actually an editor for Quartz Magazine, which is a kind of, you know, left-of-center magazine of ideas, who tweeted something along the lines of, we really need to make sure that the Washington Post doesn't publish Kathy Young again, because, like, this is really horrible victim-blaming. And, uh, you know, and um, and I actually retweeted that, and I said something sarcastic, like, wow, like, this is really, like, great openness to ideas from, from, an, from an ideas editor for a magazine. And then, you know, she got some pushback, and I think, you know, she complained about being harassed. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah harassed, you know, it's yeah. always, it's, yeah, it's always, I mean, I haven't, um, and, you know, I may be like jinxing myself here, but I haven't had one of those really bad, like, things that people talk about where they get, like, Twitter mobbed. And they, and I've, uh, I've actually, you know what, I've had a couple of moments where, you know, I, I got a volume of negative messages that was kind of higher than what I wanted to deal with. And I just really basically just set my notifications on Twitter temporarily to get notifications only from people that I follow. And that's actually what I recommend to everyone. I actually um, will say that there was another person, I'm not going to mention her name because I don't know if she wants me to, but there was somebody who was a liberal who was getting a lot of pushback for writing a piece that wasn't quite like politically correct on transgender issues. Uh, It wasn't anti-transgender rights or anything. Again, it was just sort of somewhat critical of this notion that, well, you know, anyone who says that they're a woman, you know, should be considered a woman. Anyway, so yeah, she was getting a lot of nasty pushback on Twitter and she was, actually going to leave twitter over this and then i said to her like do you actually know that you can change your twitter settings so that you only get (laughs) notifications from people you follow and she was like no i didn't know that so i mean i actually kept somebody from leaving twitter which i feel very uh very happy about but yeah when you're obsessive compulsive about all these notifications like i am uh, yeah that's a good thing to have Oh, I, I think people, uh, and I don't want to minimize anyone's experience of like being Twitter mobbed. I mean, I think the only time when it's really dangerous, I mean, other than like, obviously, if somebody makes credible threats of violence, you know, that's 
uh, that's a bad thing. And yes, I did have that. one incident of somebody leaving me a kind of vaguely threatening voicemail that I reported from the police. But that actually came from the not from the left. It came from the alt right. So you know that's sort of the other uh, the yeah. other end of the horseshoe, so to speak. Flip side um, of the same coin. Yeah. But yeah, but other than that, I mean, other than like credible threats, I think it can be really dangerous if it gets to the point where like it can destroy your reputation and like if people are doing something that actually can hurt your career, like if you think that, um, you know, I I think you can be put in a really bad situation where either you feel you have to respond to accusations of bigotry or you know, like you're going to get painted as a bigot, and uh, you know you're not going to get published anymore in like reputable publications. I think in my case, because I already write about controversial issues, uh, it's not very likely because I think most editors, like anyone who wants to publish me, you know, they already know that I'm yeah. sort of not. Uh, I'm not on the social justice train, <laughs> so you know. And, and you know, and it's funny because people, a lot of the time, people will say, "Well, you know, how can you use social justice in a negative sense? Like, how can you make that a pejorative?" Well, like, like, what are you for? Social injustice? So I'm like, you know, yes. Just because somebody uses a slogan that sounds really noble doesn't mean that it's actually a good thing. I mean, that's a little bit like. You know, like a Trump fan saying, well, what's wrong with making America great again? (laughs) Exactly. Well, this is a common tactic of the social justice movement is that, like, like, what, you don't like my brand of feminism, but aren't you for equality? Like, yeah, I'm I'm not not sure what you mean by equality, though. That's the problem. You know, yeah, right, right. And and then you have some people who call themselves egalitarians because specifically because they don't like what feminism stands for today. Because they feel that feminism stands for, you know, a lot of male bashing and, uh, you know, and a lot of the time it does. And, uh, you know, and and then you get people saying that, oh, well, if you call yourself an egalitarian, you're really just a men's rights activist who is, you know, as a misogynist. So, you know, it it does get uh, pretty raucous (laughs) at times. Yeah, the labels get slapped around all over. You know, have you found that? A lot of these uh, words like uh, misogynist or racist, they, they get so overused that they're com- they've started to completely lose their power. Like oh, they, of course. Nobody cares course. anymore. Yeah, of course. And that's, of course, that's the irony. This is something that people don't realize. Like, if you've, uh, if you've said that, you know, any, and I've actually seen this claim that basically, like, if you're a white person in our society, you're a white supremacist. You know, oh. because you benefit from, you know, white privilege. Well, so, okay, so how do you expect, like, the, the, the term white supremacist to have any meaning when you've just said that any white person is a white supremacist? Yeah. So, I mean, if, you've, if you do that, what do you say when you see an actual white supremacist who says, you know, I think black people are animals who, you know, well, don't Nazis. deserve rights and should be deported back to Africa or something. That's you know, what difference. do you say about that person? And then, I mean, if you say, oh, well, he's a white supremacist, you know, that that term has just lost all meaning. So I mean, they're, they're not going to be that worried about being called a white supremacist anymore. And I think that's, uh, the, that's the problem. It's kind of like, you know, uh, the same with the term misogynist. Um, 
you know, you, you do have these uh, corners of the internet, like some of the pickup artist communities, you know, the Rouge V, you know, the infamous oh, Rouge V. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And those people really are misogynistic. I mean, these are people who will say, you know, hey, you know, women are really dumb and, you know, they, uh, uh, you know, they... They're, they're be legal. children they can't be allowed to make any decision that the decisions for themselves and you know they really need to have a man in charge uh and you know if they're left to their own devices they will just you know act like a bunch of monkeys uh okay so uh you know how can you like if if you say uh so-and-so is a misogynist uh that word has just lost all meaning i mean i've run into this myself where i have uh, you know, like I, the, there's a guy. I don't know if you you've probably heard of Stephen Molyneux. No, I don't know. Or the Stephen Molyneux. Yeah. Oh, okay. I have. Oh, have you? <laughs> oh my. Okay, what's up? Yeah, he's okay, pretty explain. bad. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even sure how to pronounce his name, but I think it's Stephen Molyneux. Uh, yeah, he he's a YouTube guy who you know he he's also like an alt right guy who is you know. Well, it's already bad. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he he's uh, very much into the sort of like racial differences in intelligence, uh, like you oh, know, okay, yeah. yeah. So it's basically like yeah, like black people are stupid and you know, all yeah. of that. But he's also uh, he he has basically kind of said like you know women. I, I think he actually has a video where he says something like you know women are the root of all evil. Like I mean, I think what, is he quoting the Bible? Yeah, I was just gonna say that's biblical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I think his theory is that like women uh, select like women like uh, can I use language that you is not can use like, yeah. anything you can want. I say asshole? Like, okay, yeah. so like his theory is basically that like women love assholes, so you know like women are the reason that like asshole genes get perpetuated. So like if you're complaining about you know, men doing evil stuff like, you know, starting wars and, you know, blah, blah, you know, it's all the fault of women because they love assholes. So, you know, and, uh, uh, I didn't even compute, but anyway. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's it. Like some, some women might, but not all women do. Where, where does he get off putting all women in one basket? Yeah. Well, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 I wouldn't and, put all men in one basket. Well, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a guy who says like genuinely misogynistic stuff. You know, he's, uh, um, I, I, I think he's also like, he, he basically says that like any entertainment that portrays women as, you know, doing anything other than having babies is really bad because, you know, it's like causing a demographic crisis because, you know, all women need to start having babies at 18, whatever. You know, I don't really follow this guy too closely, but I mean, he does say a lot of like genuinely misogynistic stuff. So, I mean, I've said this, like, the, 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 and, and I think there are people, because sometimes he, he can present a more like respectable front like sometimes he will talk about issues where he appears to be sort of reasonable and i think he pulls some people in that way and i mean i've seen people who don't really know what he's all about and and you know who think that he's really he's got a podcast where you know and i think the issue has come up of you know various people appearing on his podcast sort of not quite knowing what he's like 
And, you know, and I've said, uh, you know, and people have asked me, like, oh, well, what's wrong with Stefan Mon? And, well, you know, like, he's a racist and a misogynist. And then I suddenly realized that, you know, that doesn't really mean anything anymore. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, to a lot of people, that probably means, like, oh, well, misogynist could just mean that, you know, like, you made a remark about boobs or something you know yeah. or you know and racist means that you know you you think it's fine for um you know katie perry to appear on stage in a japanese you know geisha get up uh <laughs> so you know it's it's ridiculous uh and and i think this is a real problem because i mean i've encountered this myself where you know i will uh um, use those terms to refer to like actual racists and misogynists, and then I realize that you know, it, it really doesn't uh, have much of an impact anymore because people think that you're talking about something completely trivial, and uh, you know, and that's uh, that's a problem. And, yeah. and that's and why the social justice people really don't realize like to what extent they are damaging their own cause, really. You know, if their no, cause not. is the eradication of bigotry, you know, they are really damaging their own cause because they're completely stripping those terms of all meaning and, and they're taking the stigma away. And I think that's one of the things that has kind of enabled the rise of the alt-right because, you know, people aren't really that worried about being called a, a lot of people, you know, are not that worried about being called a racist anymore because, you know, like if you've been told that, oh, well, all white people are racist, well, then I guess, you know, I'm a racist anyway, so, you know... I I'm seem to remember saying exactly ally. this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I said exactly <laughs> this. At this point, you know, somebody's going to say, oh, so you're saying it's okay to become a neo-Nazi because somebody said all yeah. white people are... No, I'm not saying it's okay, you know? Exactly. I mean, I'm not joining that racist group. I mean, well, I'm Jewish, so I'm really not eligible for the neo-Nazi, <laughs> you know. Of, uh, uh, they might be desperate. <laughs> but I mean, even if I wasn't, I mean, I very, very seriously doubt that I'd be tempted to join the neo-Nazis. Uh, you know, I, I there are certainly the vast majority of people don't join the neo-Nazis, you know. But uh, I think there is a danger of, you know, just as I mean, it's kind of an interesting process because on the one hand, I think that there are people who get drawn into the sort of social justice cult. And I do think it's a very, very cultish scene with, you know, language policing and you oh, yeah. know, people, you know, just uh, torn apart for unintended transgressions where they use the wrong word or something. And, you know, and uh, I think a lot of people get kind of pulled into that cult because they are genuinely interested in you know, social justice there. They realize that there are, you know, bad things going on. Like they're concerned about police brutality toward African-Americans. You know, they're concerned about sexual harassment of women. And, you know, there, there are real issues there. And I think some people kind of start with that and then they get drawn into this very cultish uh, mindset where, you know, it's like, uh, you know, you can, again, like you can be, called a racist for saying that it's okay to, you know, wear a sombrero on Halloween or something. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. uh, I and that issue. in the same way, you have the sort of opposite process where I think there are a lot of people, again, you know, especially young people who get really, um, kind of fed up with the extreme views that they encounter from the social justice crowd 
you know, they're fed up with uh, being told to, you know, shut up because you're a white male or something or, you know, whatever. Um, and they go looking for, you know, things that oppose that, you know, that they go looking for kind of alternative opinions. And then they get on YouTube and, yeah, you know, they find uh, videos by, you know, social justice critics, some of whom are perfectly okay. But then they kind of start going down the rabbit hole and then, you know, they will look at, because a lot of the time you get these like related videos when you watch something and then they start watching more and more and then eventually they stumble on the alt-right and then they stumble on these people who say, oh, well, hey, you're a victim of would-be white genocide because, you know, people are like these social justice warriors are bashing white people. And then they get kind of drawn into that. And I think it's really the opposite process where I really do think that the, um, the, the, the sort of white male bashing that is going on I think is pushing a lot of people toward uh, like far right extremism. And again, I'm not saying it's okay. I'm, you know, not saying it's all right to become a racist because somebody said, you know, you're racist if you're white. But I think you have to recognize that um, sort of extremism tends to generate extremism. Well, well, I think that that is a, a large part of how Donald Trump got to be where he is. I mean, you, you've got to admit that was with the most unlikely result possible. <laughs> oh but, yeah. 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 And actually there was an article the other day, uh, you probably know Quillette magazine, right? It's yeah. Oh, new... I love Quillette. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Yeah. They, they, they run a lot of really good stuff. They do. And they article the other day, I can't remember the author's name, but basically the gist of it was, and this was based on a study that this guy had done, where he said one of the really strong correlations, uh, apparently, was between, if, if you do studies of voter behavior, like voting for Trump was very strongly correlated with like disliking political correctness and being concerned about Oh, they were correctness. saying, people that came out of the voting booths were saying why they voted oh, yeah. for Trump, and that was the primary reason. Yeah, well, I don't know if it was the primary reason for it was everyone, very strong. but I mean, I've, I've encountered those people. I, I um, at one point, I interviewed, um, uh, I, I did a piece on women who voted for Trump at one point, and, uh, you know, I interviewed um, a couple of, um, interestingly enough, a couple of college students, and it was funny because, like, the other women that I interviewed were quite happy to have their name out. But these women, you know, both of whom were college seniors uh, in New York, they were like, not only did they not want their name used, but they didn't want anything like identifying used that could be possibly, you know, could possibly help somebody track them down, you know, under their real name. Because they were like, well, you know, I may be going to grad school. And if people know that I'm a Trump voter, you know, that's just going to kill my academic career. And um and political correctness was really one of their main concerns. And uh, you um, know, so they want to be able to get away with being racist, i.e. Oh, no, 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 no. It wasn't that. It was, uh, no, they, well, they, that's what yeah, most of them want. Like, uh, they want to be able to no, say racist things without consequence. No, 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 no. I don't think they were interested in saying racist things. I, I think it was more like, uh, you know, that they, they were, uh, uh, like, they were thinking that, well, anything that I say, you know, can be interpreted as racist, and then somebody's going to go after me because of that. Like, 
you know, because for instance, like, you know, I think it's okay to, you know, dress up in a, in a Halloween costume that, you know, the, the, that references another culture or something like that, or, you know, like, I mean, I I think what politically incorrect things did they want to get away with without consequence? Um, well, I, I think it wasn't so much that they wanted to get away with something as they felt that, like, they were being forced to agree with views that they didn't agree with, you like know, what? in college. Like, uh, one of them specifically mentioned that, like, the, the kind of turning point for her was when um, they had this uh, freshman orientation uh, workshop in which, like, everybody in the group was told to step forward and, like, discuss their privilege. And she felt like that was a really... Like, a, 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 and, I mean, I would be... So, so she votes for someone who's extremely privileged? Like, oh, I don't okay. understand I, this logic. Again, I am not saying, by the way, I mean, I think it's a really bad reason to vote for Trump. I mean, I think any reason to vote for Trump is a really bad reason to vote for yeah. Trump. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not excusing that. I mean, I think that... And it was, like, they're happy he's so unpolitically correct. He's openly racist, openly pussy grabs, and they want to be like yeah, that, yeah, too? Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I, 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 I agree with you that it's a stupid reason. I don't well, understand they voted, the logic. They, they voted for I'm him in spite of those things, reaction. though, Twyla. They didn't but, vote because of those things. Thought, they voted in spite of those things. And right, that's right, that's yeah, the mistake yeah. the left makes in in identifying people that voted for Trump as being all racist and all, all sexist. It's what not they true. Want that right. They no, want to, but Twyla, the alternative but, was worse. That to them, that was the thing. The alternative was worse. I mean, I think those Democrats are all jackasses where you have to be politically correct 100 percent of the time or you're going to get fired. It's getting that way. I think that was their feeling. Yeah. And I mean, I I will tell you, I I think all left to vote Democrats, where are they getting this from? I think if Sanders had run against Trump, it would have been um, undoubtedly the case he would have won. Undoubtedly. He would have done better. She ran a terrible um, campaign, and Trump, you know, watching those debates, there was a few times I said, oh, shit, that's a pretty good line. He came, you know, um, and he talked out both sides of his mouth, so he appealed to everybody. I don't want to get into right now, but I do want to say, you know, I mean, I think that those specifically the women that I interviewed, I think I thought they were pretty naive. And like one of them specifically said and i thought that oh my god like this is so ridiculous where i asked her like she was the daughter of an immigrant and i said well how do you feel about um oh actually i'm remembering this now like we talked uh like the interview that we did was right after the muslim ban like right after the business yeah, yeah the, the Muslim the, ban uh, that was not a Muslim well, that's ban. that's fine because it's not politically correct. It's awesome because right, it's right. not but politically here's, correct. Here's the funny thing. Like, here's the funny thing. She actually said, well, you know, like, if I had known that he was going to do that, I probably wouldn't have voted for him. Like, you know, he actually, like, openly said that yeah, he would he do did. that. Like, what are you talking about? That's so, one of his campaign promises. Yeah. Oh, I mean, geez. I think that there was a lot of naivete there. No kidding. But, you know, I'm just trying to explain the reasoning. And I'll tell you, like, another another example that she gave me, the same uh, the same woman of like, what uh, kind of turned her so much against political correctness that she was willing to vote for Trump, was that she said they had a class in which um, 
and I don't remember what class this was, but like, at one point they were discussing a survey which showed that the majority of women in uh, like some Muslim countries believe that it's okay for a man to beat his wife if she disobeys him. And she said the professor was all like, well, we shouldn't be judgmental because, you know, it's their <laughs> culture and it would be... Like, cultural relativism, yay! Oh, uh, my God. I hate cultural relativism. And the student gave me that as an example. of, And she basically sounded like she felt that if she questioned that, (laughs) she would be labeled like an anti-Muslim bigot. So, I mean, this is just in terms of, like you asked before, like what did they want to get away with that they considered to be politically incorrect? So, like for one of them, for instance, it was being able to object to this kind of ridiculous rationalization and not being called Islamophobic. Now, is that a good reason to vote for Trump? No, it isn't. But I'm just giving you the reason process mm-hmm. like okay and i think there was a lot of wishful thinking you know there was um uh in terms of like, specifically the uh like the sexual assault allegations i thought that was also interesting because both of these women uh kind of felt like uh and this is again the sort of the, the, this kind of um mentality where like everything is sexual assault they were saying, well, you know, I didn't really make too much of that because there have been, you know, there have been a lot of sexual assault allegations on my campus that eventually just turned out to be like somebody being drunk and, you know, doing something that they regretted when they were sober. So, like, I don't really put too much stock in this. You know, like, well, this is not really quite what they, what it was in, in Trump's case. You know, and they, I, I think as far as the, 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 the pussy grabbing tape, they were like, well, you know, yeah, I thought it was just talk and, you know, like... Look how many times he's yeah, divorced yeah, women. I think, I think and- people, who, people who voted for Trump, I think, certainly made a lot of rationalizations. Oh, yeah. uh, and I still see that going on. And I mean, I, I honestly, like, when I interviewed those women, not just the two college women, but like all the women that I interviewed, I really, really wanted to be respectful of their views uh, and hard. give them a <laughs> But it's like, there was so much stuff that was just kind of, you know, so transparently rationalizing everything. And like, one of them actually said something like, well, you know, I think Trump is going to do a good job. And this was like when he was On really just beginning. Because his ego will not allow him to fail. Like, he has to succeed on everything he does. Oh, he's succeeding. He's succeeding in rolling back human rights. Like, I, four, I, can, can four I times he, he filed for bankruptcy. Yeah, I know. I treats his exes like totally crap, treats women like I want to remind everybody but, that Trump went on the platform of, of endorsing LGBTQ rights. Which he, he lied did. about. Well, and then tried well, yeah. to prevent yeah. trans- That's what I'm like, saying about talking about both sides of his mouth, right? And yeah. that was he was a liar. He's been a liar his whole life. You can go through his Twitter, like, from the start. He just lies, lies, lies. And people think he's going to be honest all of a sudden? <laughs> oh, I know, I know, I know. I mean, it's oh, compulsive. But, you know, so I, I'm definitely not justifying anyone voting for Trump because of political correctness. I'm just saying that a lot of people did. I'm not saying it's a rational response, you know. I mean, I think if anything, and I actually wrote a piece, like the day, I think two days before the election, I wrote an article that said, like, if you vote for, if you're voting for Trump because of political correctness, you really shouldn't do that because if anything, political Trump is correctness. <laughs> And he's, and he's, he's the opposite. incorrect because he's an asshole. And if you want to be an <laughs> asshole too, yay, you all get to be assholes now. Are you happy? 
Yeah. Right, right. No, and I think I, I think there's a very real issue, and this is actually I predicted this in my article. I will say, uh, a lot of people now who used to be very concerned about political correctness, and I do think that political correctness is a real issue. You know, speech suppression is a real issue, especially in the universities. A lot of the people who were talking about that, you know, two years ago. Now we're saying, well, you know what? Uh, I mean, I really don't think that we should even be wasting time, you know, talking about, uh, you know, students uh, shutting down somebody's wow. talk on campus when we have a much bigger threat in the White House. And, you know, who can you guys want it? He's so politically incorrect. You should just be fantastically happy. Right. Well, you know, that's. <laughs> Uh, that's so I mean I think that it was a really you know really really bad decision to vote for him for that reason but nevertheless Let's vote for another know, politically incorrect person which just did. means they're jerks who don't know anything yeah that's that yeah, very well, uninformed yes. jerks I mean I think that uh, that Trump is a humongous jerk that's yeah. why he's politically incorrect because he just doesn't give a crap about anybody well, he, he's a narcissistic and, personality yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't think I mean, you know, uh, 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 this is the funny thing because I think there there was uh, there there was a um, kind of line of reasoning from the kind of PC crowd that I never liked, like which Salicone? was basically, well, you know, political correctness is really just about treating people with respect. Now, no. if you look at a lot of what goes on, you know, in the universities no, and you know in popular culture, that's not really quite what it is. I mean, it's really, it's (laughs) much more kind of repressive than that. But if you look at Trump, and if you make Trump your model of being politically incorrect, then yes, yes, you know, then actually, you know, you do seem to be saying that, you know, being, being PC is simply like not being an asshole. So, you know, so, so I think it's, it's a very, very bad uh, bad reason to vote for Trump, and uh, you know it was—it's certainly not helpful in any way. So. Well, I, th- I think that the American public, uh, or not, excuse me, the the parties, uh, particularly when we talk about the Democratic Party, uh, ignoring the problem of political correctness that they have been doing, and actually exacerbating it. I mean, what uh, one of the uh, chairs of, of the DNC. I uh, can't remember who it was, was tweeting that if you don't uh, like Linda Sarsour, you have to deal with me. And I'm just like, uh, okay, bring it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I'm, I, I have big problems with Linda Sarsour, as anybody who listens to the podcast knows. And it, it it's crazy. To, it's starting, you know, it's infesting, you know, major political parties. And... It's dangerous. I mean, it, it 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 is to me the primary cause of of Donald Trump's rise, and he was the only voice talking about certain topics. And anybody who wants to talk about, well, yeah, regardless, uh, anybody who talks about it, people will gravitate to that because at least somebody is talking about it. And they'll gravitate. Well, somebody to that talked about education, got ignored because the media loved. The politically okay. incorrect asshole over talking about boring old education oh, he's and boring sens- old economy. He's a sensationalist. That that plays in on CNN and and you know news organizations. A lot like of good things got ignored in favor of putting the camera on some son of a bitch talking about pussy grabbing. <laughs> well, that certainly. Well, that certainly wasn't on happened. the campaign trail, but. <laughs> 
uh, yeah, yeah, it's well, you know, uh, we, we are where we are. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and so the thing wanna, is, you want to listen to some guy talk about pussy grabbing for eight years? Good. Elect another one. Great job, guys. The media. That, that's just the problem. We have to look to, to the next election and what to do. And Sally Cohn is people like Sally Cohn are saying that we need more PC, which is it just blew my mind. I'm like, what are you, you talking just need about? Need to go after the person who's to, speaking. To, when they're speaking, yeah. whether it's boring or not, about issues that matter, not about pussy grabbing. I'm not going to try to get into the mind of the typical voter for who got. No, me neither. I, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't. I just can't. It, it just is beyond my ken. But anyway, um, I th- we've been doing this for an hour and 22 minutes. Uh, uh, do you want to end it here? And I, 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 I want to know what feminism is supposed oh, to be. Okay. I'm so oh, confused. Sure. That's why I'm here today. I, <laughs> I can't say I'm a feminist. I'll get creamed by somebody else. I can't say I'm not a feminist. I'll get creamed by another person. I To me, it's I'm in USA and Canada. We're doing pretty well. That's um, a good question. Because, yes, to me, it's about equality. But now... Now, feminism, I don't know what it is supposed to be now in USA and Canada. I understand that feminism is very important in places where women are actually repressed and can't speak and can't drive. But what is feminism supposed to be now in USA and Canada? Uh, well, yeah, I I personally prefer to not get hung up on labels. Uh, I mean, I will... Um, I mean, I've often I often get asked if I call myself a feminist. Um, I um, I don't like shun the term. I mean, it's funny because I've criticized. I mean, often uh, I will use the term feminist when criticizing the sort of uh, orthodoxy with uh, you know the kind of the uh, uh, the the. the really like extreme assumptions about the oppression of women and first world cultures today and about, you know, men. I mean, you know, the whole kind of men are mistreating women all the time uh, crowd. I've often used the word feminists to criticize them and I will have people say, well, you know, not all feminists. And yeah, I mean, I certainly agree. I try to avoid as much as I can generalizing statements about feminists, uh, do I consider myself a feminist in the original sense of, you know, do you believe in the equality of men and women? Um, certainly I am a feminist. Um, I sometimes use the term dissident feminist because I do think that the kind of mainstream of feminism in the United States and Canada today is kind of not quite on the page where I am. So, you know, I do want to differentiate myself from kind of the general, the general. Well, it seems like it's gone down into intersectionality, which is, I I believe, a very bad idea. There's a sense of that whole other topic, because there is so much going on. There's intersectionality, there's, uh, you know, there's the... um, uh, kind of polarization of men and women. I mean, I think that to me, like being a feminist or be, I mean, to me, there's no real difference between feminist and sort of gender egalitarian. Um, yes, I completely. Can, it's about that's unfortunate. People, I mean, I am treating people as individuals and yeah. defining them by gender, which seems to me to be kind of self-explanatory and really obvious, uh, and that includes 
not applying a double standard based on gender. And it means essentially, you know, treating, uh, treating everyone as a person. Uh, now, a lot of people will say that that's not what feminism should be, that it should be about sort of focusing on women's oppression. And, you know, and to me, there's such a big component there of uh, treating women as victims and a lot of just really condescending treatment of women. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of the sort of Me Too brand of feminism really denies women's agency and, you know, blames all problems and male-female interactions on men. I don't think that's fair. You know, I don't think it's fair to women or to men. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, I mean, what should feminism be? Um, I think feminism should be about, um, you know, treating both men and women as people. That's, uh, society <laughs> yeah, should like be that. about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, feminism is what you, you want it to be. I mean, really is what it comes down to. I think Twyla, what, what do you think like is your sense of fairness, you know, let that lead you that, that, I don't like Absolutely. using the term feminism. Yeah. No, I think the but... sense of I think fairness fairness is really the uh, the operative sure. word there. You know, fairness and equity, or fairness, equity, and freedom. Because I think it should also be about the freedom of defining yourself. I mean, you know, th- th- there's uh, there's a lot of arguments that you get, you can get into about you know should feminists support you know a woman's freedom to you know not have a career and you know stay home with her kids of course yeah they, i i think well, it's about choice. <laughs> exactly it's about choice i mean i think choice. we should also support the a man's ability to, i mean there's a still uh, i think a lot of stigma attached to men you know not kind of being in traditional male roles and i think if we support yeah. that freedom for women we also need to support it for men. And I think that there is, you know, to the extent that there is, you know, in our society, uh, I think certainly sexist attitudes still exist, but I think they exist among both women and men. And I think they do kind of cut both ways. I think there are a lot of biases. There are a lot of sort of stereotypes and prejudices uh, that, you know, apply to both men and women. And I, I don't think you can really just look at one side of the issue. And, you know, I don't want to say, you know, because you, you get some people in the, in the men, on the men's rights side who will essentially say, oh, well, you know, men and women have always been equally oppressed. No, I mean, I don't think that's true. I mean, I think that <laughs> if you look at, um, you know, the situation like a hundred years ago where a lot of the time women didn't have property rights, you know, you couldn't, you know, get credit from a bank, even like recently in the 70s, if you're a woman trying to start a business, you had to get a guy to co-sign the papers so you could get a loan. You know, there was a lot of like really, really discriminatory stuff. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, if you look at the problems today, that there are problems that face women, that there are, the, the, you know, there, there are problems that, you know, affect primarily men. I mean, I think there are very real issues, for instance, of, you know, boys in schools not doing as well today as girls are and i think that's a real issue that needs to be discussed more uh you know there are areas where discrimination exists against women there are areas where discrimination exists against men you know there's there's, uh yeah so i mean i think fairness really fairness equity and freedom for both um women and men really should be the opportunity that's pretty much where i'm at yeah so, I'm glad we're all on the same page with that. <laughs> and I think we can wrap up here. Yeah, right? I think we'll just, wrap up. Just, yeah, we'll have you, all on you, the same page. We're all agreeing. Yeah, and, you know. yeah. I, I, at some point, I'd love to have you back on again and, oh, and I, you know, for another discussion absolutely. and in a few months. 
because we could talk about all manner of issues, especially when it comes to the cult of social justice that exists today. And that's a huge area that, you know, more stories on the news. Well, it greatly worries me in terms of, you know, I've, you know, I went through the university when I went through to university. And of course I'm dating myself now. Uh, there was none of this, <laughs> just none of this. And what happened in the interim? I, I, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I, I, and now it's polarizing everybody, the left and the right, making things yeah. even worse. I, I think that a lot of that polarization has to do with our uh, the newness of social media and its anonymity. It, it's, it allows you to be very mean that things that you would not do in person you will do on social media and and it and it actually does affect you you, you start to get meaner and meaner and i notice it in myself oh <laughs> it's not good it's not good yeah yeah absolutely and you just all right well to be continued i hope but yes absolutely i'll i'll, I'll set something up in a few months great well well thanks for uh uh Again, to, to discuss, uh, you know, we went, we went through a wide range of topics, and it's been okay. it's been awesome. I love it. Yeah, same same here. Thanks for having yeah. me on. Mm-hmm. Great. Hey, take care. Bye. Did you want to ask me oh, something? Sorry. No, I just said thank you so much for joining us. Sorry. Oh, okay. You've been listening to the Legion of Reason Diversion coming to you from Alberta, Canada. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to our bi-weekly podcast on iTunes and other podcatchers. Even better, subscribe to our YouTube live sessions where you can join in on the discussion. Thanks for giving us a listen. Music and other sound effects under license from audioblocks.com.